podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Craig Fowler, and I am joined via Riverside once again by Craig Anderson. It's just the two of us this time, as we are going to run through the weekend's fixtures in the Scottish Premiership. I say run, most of the shows we've been doing recently have been over an hour, which I suppose is a, a decent running time for some, but not, not for you, Craig. Actually, you used to run quite a lot, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a, I am a runner. I I have been a runner. I I I'm quite um quite patchy in my running. Like I'll do lots and lots, and then then have like six months a year where I do barely any. But uh, an hour an hour um a good a good workout for I say these podcasts tend to be the perfect length for like a ten k. Like um mm. it always works quite nicely. So I'm always quite glad if there's a terrace on the um when I did uh, I did do a marathon in my life, which was uh, was regretted because uh, it was more challenging than I thought. But uh, I had one of the end of season award shows got me through like the first three hours of it, which was pretty good. Um, and definitely my performance flagged at the point where I had to switch from that to like a another podcast. Yeah, but how how is how is life in uh, in Via Riverside? Um, yeah, a good view. <laughs> yeah, some somebody <laughs> thought somebody in Pyeboro thought that I'd moved to Riverside because I kept mentioning it on the show. No, Riverside is the software we use to record. So, I mean, somebody in the chat said they thought it was weird. I was bringing it up. Whenever nobody thought it was weird when I kept saying Zoom all the time, joining me over Zoom, and it's either either say over the line, like to to differentiate between in person. Uh, or otherwise, and but over the line doesn't really make any sense. I suppose it is kind of true because you have lines that make up your broadband. But still, just say just what just say what we're using Riverside. Hopefully they'll give us money. If I keep saying it. I'll say it again, Riverside. Is that their business model? <laughs> <laughs> I thought the point was we were giving them money. <laughs> yeah, but they could they could be a two way thing. They could get something. They maybe give us a discount if we just keep saying it at the top of every podcast. <laughs> I'll say it again, Riverside. Anyway, we are, as I said, we are here to talk about the five Premiership games that took place because one of them, Dundee against Ross County, was a victim of the weather. The other ones went ahead in very slick conditions, but that made for, well, made for good football in one of the games. Terrible football in most of the other ones, apart from some individual brilliance from one or two players at, at Celtic Park. And Craig, surprisingly, considering on this podcast, we nickname it the two teams that play a shite game of football derby. It was actually the Edinburgh derby that was the best game of the weekend. A 2 all draw at Tyne Castle. Hearts taking the lead through an excellent goal from Alan Forrest. Doubled their advantage with a Christian Dodge own goal after good work from Alex Lowry. And then it all came crashing in. On the Jambos, two goals in the space of, I think, in terms of timed on the park, it was something like, was it 68 seconds or 98 seconds or something after the game had restarted that, that Hibbs managed to haul themselves level two quick-fire goals from Ellie Yuhan. 
And then both teams had chances to to win the match, but it, it finished all square to each. I was furious on Saturday evening with the Hearts manager. But I've calmed down a little since then, but I've still got some things I'll get off my chest. But Craig, let's go to you first of all and your immediate thoughts on the game. Yeah, so I thought for, I missed the first 20 minutes or so, but after I was watching it, I think Hearts would just scored when I put it on. And it was a very dominant Hearts performance at that point. It looked like, in a rare occasion in an Edinburgh derby, like one team was streets ahead of the other one in that period of the game. And I thought like Hearts are just kind of going to rack this up. And when they went 2-0 up, I thought, yeah, they're, they're kind of, they've kind of got this here. Because usually Hibs, Hibs are the masters of chucking away leads in these derbies. And Hearts usually, once they get a couple of goals ahead, they usually win 2-1, actually, is how it tends to happen. But they, they usually win. And so I kind of didn't see much coming from Hibs. I thought it had been a pretty poor performance from Hibs up to that point. And then what Hibs have on the park uh, is a Maverick. And the Maverick pulled out two excellent goals. Like, excellent in different ways. And, and there were certainly defensive errors in there as well. But the first finish is really, really good. I mean, he just, he just whacks it. And, and that in itself is good. And then the second one is, is much more measured. And, and it's my favourite thing that happens in football is, is the kind of two quick-fire goals, um, as long as it doesn't happen against your team. Because um, it's almost like the opponents haven't even <laughs> barely touched the ball again and then they're, they're conceding another goal. Especially if, as, as Toby Civic did, you just boot it straight out of the park, basically direct from centre, which um, is, is how Hibs got the ball back. But I'm obviously thinking, you know, in my head I'm thinking... Um, Lyndon Dykes and Kenny McLean, but um, this one was less of interest to me, but it was still, as a, as a neutral, quite good to watch. But after that, the game was so wide open. It was like neither team neither team wanted it to finish to each. Um, somehow, yet yeah, it still did because they were both quite wasteful. I thought the best mm. opening of the, the game at that point was when... Um, Yuan fizzed the ball across the box, but he just, he just did it too early um, from, from yeah. that opening, which was... That that break, I don't know why Hearts were so committed at that point, but that break probably should have led to a goal because they, they had a really great opening there. But that's that's what you get with Yuan as well. His decision-making isn't always the best. And even though the ball was a good ball, it was a good ball about a second too early. But yeah, all in all, one of the best best Edinburgh derbies I've seen in a long time. And I think it might be a sign that the, the teams freeze when the cameras are there, so we just need to keep them off the telly and, and exclusively stuck to, to the dodgy streams and pay for pay-per-view. Exactly. No no more Edinburgh derbies on the telly. Let's just just let's have them all at three o'clock on a Saturday. Let's <laughs> dig for those people on Twitter who are just moaning constantly about the Edinburgh Derby not being on telly. Just well. I don't care. I, I go to the games, so it doesn't give a shit. I, I go to every single Edinburgh Derby, so the fact that it's on Telerol makes absolutely no difference to me. Anyway, as you were talking there, there's three things. Basically, you, you touched upon three different things that I wanted to cover. I'll leave my Naismith rant for now. I'll actually start with Hibs. I'll start with Hibs and I'll start with some of the positives of Naismith. So basically, the, the, the way the first half went, I think Nick Montgomery made a mistake in his starting 11 to begin the game. I mean, but the big call that everybody talked about beforehand was Rocky Bashiri in for Paul Hanlon. I think that ended up being fine for Hibs. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with it. I think Hanlon is it's certainly the safer pair of hands out of the two. I mean, you could say that 
in one game, Bashiri's ceiling's quite high, but you never really see many really dominant performances from Rocky Bashiri. He's either, you know, pretty good or he's having a nightmare. So I thought that was weird. They didn't, that one didn't really cost him. What the one I thought did cost him was the one that a lot of fans were calling for. And a lot of Hearts fans were a little bit trepidatious about, which was Christian Doidge coming into the starting eleven to basically add a bit of physicality against a Hearts defence that lacks it. So Frankie Kent, who was signed in the summer as an aggressive defender, but he's still quite slightly built. He's not like you know, the broadest of centre-halves. And Kai Rolls, we all know his problems by now. He's just, he can be a very good defender at times. His positioning, his anticipation of balls in the penalty area especially is excellent, but he gets pushed around far too much and you thought him against Dodge, Hibbs would be able to feast on that. I think it really just kind of threw Hibbs off their game a bit because Dodge didn't do anything. It was probably his worst performance of the season. Was it a surprise he got taken off and scored the own goal not long before it as well? And then Adam LaFondra came on and he didn't play a, a massive part in either goal, but he still played a part. And the, the part that he plays is just his comfort in drifting out to the wings and creating overloads and allowing those wide players to then attack inside. And that was a, a crucial part to, to both their goals. So Montgomery, I don't think, got things right to begin with, but it was a necessary change that had to be made. And LaFondra helped them get back in the game. But obviously, Johan is the, the one that takes the, the major plaudits there. In terms of what Naismith got right, Hearts didn't really press too high at Hibs and also for the entirety of the game played with a fairly deep defensive line. I think that was smart enough. You can't you can't have everybody standing at the halfway line and, and pressing. I said this on, I believe it was one of the shows, I think it was last week, that Hibs are wanting. Hibs have been quite, what's the word? I'm going to say aggressive. Aggressive is probably not the word quite regimented to the passing it out from the goalkeeper to defenders and making your way up the park that way. Now, in Scottish football, that always tends to raise his eyebrows and there's a lot of fans who don't really like it because if, as soon as you make a mistake, you're basically letting the other team almost in with a shot at goal with, with nobody really around to, to stop that from happening. But I could see against Dundee what they were trying to do. They were trying to get it so they could lure... Dundee out and then that means there's a lot more space in behind for the likes of Johan and Boyle etc and LaFondra's quick as well and Venti's quite quick so they've really got a lot of pace in that attack and Hearts wouldn't let them do that like I say they they kept the changes as well to a back four which worked and they kept the majority of them quite deep Kingsley was the only one really going forward with any sort of regularity and it just everything worked Alex Lowry picking up space in between the Hibs kind of flatter midfield Worked very well as well. He was the best player in the park for his 60 minutes. And it was, yeah, it was just all going all going well for the Hearts until, until, until. Until it didn't. Yeah, okay. Well, i start with, okay, well, who's, who will have ran it first? Toby Simic or Stephen Naismith? You should mention, I guess, the, the impact of the, the injury to Kingsley, which did, um, yes. did influence some of this. Now, I thought it was a very amusing passage of play all in because Kingsley does so well to get black, back to block that shot. And he's, he's obviously picked up the injury there and he's, he's down. And he and it's unlike, you know, if, if you're watching that uh, Dre Wright, for example, that's what you do when you're injured. Still get up and do the bare minimum and he, he heads the ball away. And then Hart's actually going on a, a break. So even though he's lying down injured in a heap, Hearts keep playing, which I think I think they probably should do as well. 
and then it comes up the other end and Kingsley's back back in his feet, clearly absolutely fucked, clearly absolutely done in. <laughs> Kai Rose gets the ball and uh, and decides that the, the best thing to do is to pass it to him, but not just pass it to him, pass it like five yards behind him. And Kingsley has to actively like hobble over to basically get the ball. And I can't remember if he shells it out of the park or he gives it to gives it to someone else. He in, just uh, kicks it. He just kicks out the out the park for a throw. In. And it was I wouldn't even like, say shelled because he could he, he no. couldn't move his legs enough to shell <laughs> anything. <laughs> he turns round and you can the, you can just see the the gesture he gives to Rose like what on earth are you doing here? It was just that there are certain things that make me wonder about individual players. And like, I know it's it's a daft wee incident, but a top level player is not going to do that. Like there's a lack, complete lack of game awareness that, that, um, that is staggering in that position. And it's quite funny to watch and obviously it didn't lead to anything, but it's just, yeah, it's just so daft. And then obviously the, the loss of Kingsley impacts, um, impacts Hearts because they need to change things up in it. And I think they didn't, they didn't get it right from that point on. Yeah, going to the incident, it could be possible that Cairo saw, saw Stephen Kingsley winning a header and thought it was a superhuman effort. Like, <laughs> every player he sees winning a header because he can't win any and just thought, oh, he must be fine then. <laughs> he, could do, he could do what I can't, so he must be all right. <laughs> yeah, aye. So, instead, they bring Odell O'Fire on. So, th- this was something that I... I bemoaned in a, in a group chat. I'm, I'm not a fan of Andy Halliday, so I, I don't really want to... I almost feel a little... Like, like... Like I'm just hating on Naismith here for the sake of it and pulling out players that I don't actually really want to see in the team. Because I'm not really a fan of Andy Halliday. He's had his moments over the last few years where he has looked decent, though, and he is a... He is somebody that can be relied on to come in and just basically do a job, especially just in like a circumstance as this one. Team's 1-0 up, coming to the team. Like I say, the the squad in general are playing with quite a defensive line. His lack of pace, therefore, might not be as much of an issue against Martin Boyles. It might be against a Hearts team who are more intent on taking their game to, to their opponent. But it just seemed like that's just the easy... Alex Cochran's out, so he couldn't come in. Instead of any kind of square pegs, stick him there. Now, to be fair, Kai Rose goes over to that position, and Kai Rose was very good. I think for the rest of the game, he was probably Hart's best player in the left-back role. And I suppose you could say as well, to to give Nielsen some uh, some credit, not to blame him for this, is that... That's the first time, first time Hart's fans haven't blamed Nielsen for something. <laughs> <laughs> Naismith, he... Sorry, to give Naismith his credit, he... he he probably didn't expect a centre-half to just be as terrible as Toby Simic was. But he is still moving the entire defence. Right? Instead of doing... Instead of... If you have Halliday there, or even if you want to just pick a fire and put him at left-back and say... Well, I don't know. It, it, I suppose he's maybe seen... We've seen loads of times through the years in football, right-backs go to left-back and just be fine. I mean, they're not particularly great because they look a bit uncomfortable, but they could do a job for a match for 60 minutes, whatever. But who knows? Maybe he's seen some of the trainers like, oh, he can't play there at all. He doesn't know where to stand. He doesn't know, uh, you know, touch, whatever. Has Civic not played left-back before? He feels like he should be able Don't, to. Not that I can remember, but... If, it feels like this sort of utility player that should have done. Because <laughs> that's what I thought was going to happen when the sub came on, but... 
So he, he decided instead to move everybody over one position in the defence. And I mean, it could have worked, but it was Toby Civic that had an absolute nightmare. And I suppose it's maybe a bit too harsh to blame Naismith for that. Uh, I will get to something that I do blame him for very soon, though. Civic. So it, at first, I kind of thought, so you see the first goal. It goes. It goes in between his legs, basically. It hits, it hits one of his heels and inadvertently it just perfectly teed up for Johan to, to smash it home. And you could see that he's unlucky there because he is trying to get in the way. He just doesn't quite get full contact and it goes through and it's, it happens you know, quite quick in terms of the pass from Venti, I think it was. However, I watched it again and... He's, he's too slow to react to the danger in general. He's too flat-footed. He should know, like, when the pass comes in from Newell, I think it is, to Venti initially, he should be already moving towards Venti in that position. He doesn't. He's too caught on his heels. He's too in his own head. I don't know what he's doing, but he's he's not reacting as a defender should. He's far too static. And that directly leads to him then getting caught with the ball going through his legs for, for then you haven't score. The second goal, I mean, you mentioned in, in, in the meantime, he just punts the ball at the park. And then the second goal, no idea what he's trying to do there. Like, that is just wild defending in that situation. Like, either clear, try to clear it with your left foot or just smash out the park for a corner. What is... Like, it's a perfectly teed up pass for Elian to score. Like, what are you doing? Ah... <sighs> He's, he's an enigma of a player in general, right? Because there's been spells where he's... I think when he came in, he didn't look great. And then there were spells where you thought, do you know what, there's, there's really something here. And you think of that goal he scored. The, uh, it was the second goal, wasn't it? In the cup, Was that a cup game? The, the, the game uh, the they won 2-0. Anyway, third goal. Um, 3-1 then, was it? Or 3-0? I, thought, I felt was... like it was... I felt like it was like a, a, a taking the game away from the opponent goal in the last minute. But anyway, that that was a, a lovely. No, was, no sorry, that was uh, it was it was the cup game that finished three 0 Three 0 Jesus, okay. I'm I'm less impressed by the goal now, knowing that it went from two 0 to three 0 <laughs> rather than two one to three one actually. But anyway, no, it was a, it was a lovely finish. And the the thing was that was really impressive goal. about that was that his performance in general was absolutely outstanding. He was the best player in the park at Easter Road that day. He, he was brilliant, and he was brilliant. He has had games where he's brilliant, but he's, he just makes too many really basic errors and it just doesn't look like... I don't think Naismith particularly fancied him at the start of the season. He was poor and gave away a goal again with a ball that just kind of went through him in the penultimate game of the campaign away at Ibrox that meant that Hearts, Hearts needed the victory and the draw wasn't good enough to take the battle of Aberdeen down to the... Last day of the season, and it, going at this campaign, it looked like he wasn't really fussed on, on Civic at all. And when he was playing him, he was playing him in midfield. But he'd been given a, another chance, and I can only imagine, especially when Craig Halkett's back, that you, you won't see Toby Civic all that much unless there's other injuries to befall. So you'll probably see Civic loads, because it's hard. <laughs> right, we've talked about this game for nearly 20 minutes already, and I've not even got to my, my Neesmith rant. So you said that usually in these types of games, Hearts don't throw them away. It's usually the Hibs throwing them away and Hearts when they're 2-0 up against Hibs, especially at Tynecastle. I mean, there's a famous one where it didn't happen, but typically they, they see the game out. I would also say that usually Hearts managers when they're 2-0 up against Hibs don't take off an attacking midfielder and bring on a defensive midfielder instead. And that's what Naismith did. Alex Lowry went off. Now, 
Rob and Joel have said that Lowry was breathing out his backside. I mean, he just created the goal a minute before, so he was still, even when Knackered was capable of doing something. But okay, he's, he's not got the fitness right now to Tire, play tired 90 himself minutes. Out, trying to claim the goal, trying to do the big massive celebration, as if he'd like, <laughs> curled into the top corner himself. <laughs> yeah, even at the time, I was like, ah, it's definitely an OG, that was not going in. And so he goes off, and Benny Meningame comes on instead. Now... There were some things that Beningame did well in this game in terms of his composure of the ball was quite good. But it's it's still a negative move. It's a negative move where you're you're taking off a, a creative player and somebody who's going to give the Hibs defence something to worry about, who's going to make the ball stick in advanced areas. And also, like you could say that the sub didn't necessarily cost... Because I could have assumed that. Because it's, it's too easy to say, like, oh, the sub cost Hearts two goals. I think it did actually look at the highlights. It did have something to play in the first goal because Beringame's first just out of the park and he's trying to do a, a bit too much in terms of chasing everybody down and trying to, to press the play when that's not necessarily what Hearts were doing and it's not what he's on the park really to do. He's there to kind of shore things up and to to add a bit of composure on the ball and to to be a stopper and not to just run around in circles and chase after everybody. And I don't know whether, as Neil McCann said, on the sports scene highlights that he was a little leggy when he came to clear the ball, but he, he didn't clear it properly. But he was just like, the, the fact that he was running about and stuff, it was just all, it, it all contributed. He he could he was part of the lead up to the Hibs goal. So I don't know if we, then we could say that the sub had nothing to do with it because I don't think he should have been on the park. And I'm still unsure about the way that, I think it's Benny Beningham has always moved a bit strangely anyway. He's, he's always been a kind of, the way he runs is quite unique. So I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but he still doesn't look like he's moving as well as he did prior to his knee injury. And he was out for 15 months. So that's another career as a kid said as well. But the the big aspect for me was just that you don't, and everybody in the ground thought this at the time and everybody was raging. Like you don't take off an attacking midfielder for a defensive midfielder when you're 2-0 up at home at Hibs. If you have to take off your attacking midfielder, you bring on another attacking midfielder. We brought on Liam Boyce later and Hearts got better again. And Boyce should have been the sub from the start. Boyce is basically an attacking midfielder now, for those unaware, <laughs> at this point in his career. But he's the one that should have been on instead of Lowry, to begin with, or or George Grant. And it was the, the wrong move. And, I mean, this, there's other aspects to consider as well, like the mental aspect of the game. What are you saying to your opponents? What are you saying to your own team? The fans were grumbling pretty much as soon as the, the sub was made. What does that do, etc., etc. I feel like we've talked about it enough. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a long time on, on one game. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just the thing that annoyed me was that Stephen Naismith, when he first got the job, was really kind of putting the boot into Robbie Nielsen a lot. Due to, like, whatever. Like, Naismith was in the coaching staff and then went down to the, to the B team and I don't know if there's any resentment for that or whatever, but he was very much talking about how a club like Hearts need to have a, a, a style, a sense of identity. They, they need to go and be attacking teams. and They need to be on the front foot. They need to go and be aggressive. They need to do this. They need to do that. And also, they need to be playing more young players because a club like Hearts should be playing young players. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Stephen Naismith's teams this season aren't that attacking. And they plays one young player. So it just it just it comes across as something very disingenuous from the start, and he's not 
doing enough on the park to to win myself over or many Hearts fans over as well. But yeah, twenty three minutes of one game. There we go. If you if feels like a dead if feels like a dead man walking already, which is a uh, is quite an achievement when he's been in the job even even unofficially been in the job like what four months in total. I know he had the caretaker, but and I think the club haven't helped him either with the whole the whole shambles around him and and McAvoy because it's so every every kind of I mean every fan who doesn't get too every, every rational fan I would say that's probably the best way to put it. every rational fan knew exactly what Hearts were were doing. I think you get a bit of rational and say, oh, what's happening with the manager? But I mean, you know, when, when you're when you've let the emotion kind of calm down, you know exactly what's going on. Like it, it's, it was plainly obvious what exactly what was going on and why the club were doing it. But it's just it fed into like a wider culture and it just kind of permeated through the fan base of. Because you're basically saying this is a manager who is in place who doesn't have the qualifications to be in the job. Now, I think that I tend to think that the coaching badges stuff is maybe a bit. I think it, it's box ticking. I don't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a good. Maybe there's a very good reason as to why you need to have coaching badges at, at the top flight level. That you actually need to have the, the highest grades. Like I just think it's a bit because you've seen managers. You've seen Martindale didn't have them for years, and he was doing a, a fine enough job. But there was. I mean, being too of a traditionalist by saying there's plenty of managers from yesteryear that got all right with them. You know, I sound like an old man here. But basically I'm saying I'm not sure how necessary they are. But at the same time, it still just invited so much scrutiny, not just from the wider media, because that doesn't really matter, but that plays into it as well. It was just a kind of question of what are hearts doing? And the only way for Naismith to properly of beating that away was to be kind of third place right now, or at least, yeah, or, or possibly worse than Mirinor. Because the start of the season isn't that bad. And had he been given the job, and if he had his coaching badges, and if he could just be called the manager the entire time, I actually think that the scepticism around him and his role wouldn't be as strong as it is at this moment in time. So he's been let down by the club. It's been a hugely badly handled thing from the start. There are signs there that I think he can be a decent appointment, but it just, like you say, it still feels like dead man walking. Over the next four games, Hearts have got Rangers twice, including the Cup semi-final and Livingston at home. They're very likely to lose all those games against Celtic and Rangers. And if they don't beat Livingston at home, if they get no victories for the next four games, the vast, vast majority of fans will want him sacked. And I think they will force the board's hand in that one, similar like they did with Robbie Nielsen. Right, okay, we've got four games to go through in 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be a struggle, Craig. Apologies <laughs> to fans of any other team. But uh, to be fair, that was uh, kind the of... The only interesting game. There was something to talk about, and there's going, to be a couple of, there's going to be a couple of games here we don't really have that much to talk about, so let's just batter on. Right, Livingston. Livingston beat Motherwell by two goals to nil. And he was a first-half red card for Lenny Miller, which played a significant part in this one. Livingston then won it in the second half with Bruce Anderson opening the scoring before Sean Kelly beat his brother from the penalty spot after Bevis Mugabe putting a wild challenge to give the Lions a spot kick. Craig, Livingston are up to sixth. 
I yeah, thought this was the season they were going down. It's interesting. I was on the podcast uh, last week, and I think Tom was kind of lumping them in with St Johnston, and I could see where he was coming from. But at the same time, like Livingston, haven't actually lost very many games at all this season. There's a lot of draws, but they're the only games have lost to sort of lost three games in fourteen in all competitions, and every single one of them is to either Celtic or Rangers. So that suggests that they're, they're certainly not doing that badly and they're, they're, they're anti-Kelly, actually, in that respect. Then, um, Yes, because <laughs> we only beat Rangers and Celtic. But they, um, not this time, but uh, they were, were very good value for it in this game. And, and I've generally thought they've looked all right in a lot of games, but they, we definitely don't have the quality that they maybe have had before. But what they, they seem to be kind of, I would say, starting to embrace a little bit of the old Livy ball that got them to where they were the first couple of years they came in but they've probably obviously also got a slightly higher calibre of player than they had then um, with the exception I guess of the defence where they had a, a very strong defence as it turned out then um, that went on to, to do very well for themselves but in this game they, they kind of ran over the top of Motherwell obviously the red card changed it um, it's one of those very weird decisions it's, it's clearly the correct decision because He's through in goal and he gets filled. It's it's one of those sad ones because because Miller is obviously not not even tried to foul him. There's absolutely no intent, but he, he clips him very lightly. But it's certainly enough to knock him off his stride. That therefore, as a foul and because he's through in goal, and therefore as a red. But it's kind of one of those where you can understand why people get a wee bit annoyed by those ones. But I, I think given that he's denied an a good opportunity to score, I don't really see any other outcome. Um, and and it did switch the game fully in, in Livingston's favour, and then they were they were helped out um, a great deal by by Bevis McGabby at the point where they were still hanging about in the game. It's exactly why he's never been fully trusted by Motherwell. Like he, he comes in and he has a few good games, McGabby, and I know he's kind of been more on the the out, the outside looking in most of the time under Kettlewell anyway. But when he has been playing. He'll play three or four really good games, and then you always know that there's going to be something from him. And and it's just yeah, it, it probably didn't cost him because they were already one 0 down and and whatever. But that was kind of the moment where the the game obviously got taken away from them. But Bruce Anderson as well is uh, is broken Livingston's okay okay small tally, but he's now their all time top flight goal scorer with twenty. So it was Scott Pittman before, so it's not exactly a. a a massive hurdle to overcome, but uh, if Pittman can still take it back from him, you never know. But the he, he scores a really diverse range of goals, and, and I think you're starting to see. I know Tony's a big fan. I'm not as big a fan, but he's definitely got something about him, and, and he's he's going to be a big player this season in terms of um, maybe making the difference between them being in the battle for the top six or just kind of hanging about in the the bottom bottom bit of the league. But yeah, they 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 continue to do reasonably well and perform okay. And certainly, they probably have more points than their performance would dictate so far this season. But on this occasion, they got exactly what they they deserve from the game. Talking about Bruce Anderson, I was I was very impressed. I watched I basically watched this game until I went two 0 to Livingston. And what I would say is that I thought Livingston were the better team. Even when there was still eleven against eleven, Motherwell. There's not really much to say about Motherwell other than the fact that they've just not got anything really up front. Like we've been saying it for weeks. Theo Bear, he does a lot of work outside the the box. He's he's very mobile. He's very big. He can he can hud it up. He can. There was a 
point as well where he managed to beat somebody on the wing. But that's really about all they've got. Kettlewell, I think, did well with changing the formation for, for the recent games and, and just the kind of had to early in the season because it wasn't just another forward. And then going with the kind of 3-4-3 for the matches against Rangers and Celtic worked very well. They didn't get anything out of it, but it's very much a case of the operation was success, but the patient died. But for this one, you kind of thought, well, you need... <laughs> it's kind of a catch-22 because they need to have somebody else in attack. You can't just have Theo Bear up front by himself. You're just not going to score enough goals that way. You're, you're really just needing Callum Slattery and Blair Spittle, Harry Payton and Lennon Miller. To, to, you're asking them to do an awful lot, especially when you're looking at like Payton never been much of a top-flight goal scorer. Lennon Miller's really kind of more of a, a ball player in front of the back four. Spittle's always chipped him a goal, so he's one. But even Slattery, he gets the odd one, but he's, again, not a regular goal scorer either. So you're just putting out a team there with not enough firepower in it. But at the same time, would starting Ollie Shaw or Connor Wilkinson alongside Theo Bear have given them much more firepower as well? That doesn't seem like an awful lot. It really feels like... Motherwell were, were unlucky in, the, in their three games prior to this one. They were not really unlucky in this one. They are unlucky in a wee bit of sense with the red card, but they didn't play well before then, and they didn't really react to it particularly well either. As I said, losing breeds a culture of more losing, and grumbles start to happen, and confidence dips, and etc., etc. And you do wonder that if they can't get Beerus back soon, and if he's not the player that he looked like he was going to be against Hibs, then Motherwell might start to get a bit concerned. They're still in the top half, but that's based completely on their first four games of the season because they've lost their, their last four. And they need the results soon to make sure that things aren't going to get a bit tricky for them, I would say. And that may sound like an overreaction because they are still in the top six, but you've, this is a movie we've seen before a lot of times in the Scottish top flight. There's not, there's not like a... There's not a team cut adrift. You can say St Johnston are cut adrift. They are three points behind a, a few other clubs, but then you go up to to kind of I think ninth, tenth, and eleventh. They're all on seven points. It's not like you know they're they're basically a win away from the top six themselves. So we're not talking about any team, and I would include St Mirren in that, though they're clearly too good to get dragged in. There's not any team who you are saying, well, they've already pulled themselves away from ever being in any danger. I think Motherwell are probably better than several teams, but as you say, the, the lack of firepower could, could end up being an issue. And as for Livingston, I was going to talk about Bruce Anderson and I could have got waylaid on Motherwell. Yeah, I thought he was very good. He'd he done well to... I think what always impressed me about Bruce Anderson is for somebody so small, he's very good at battling with opposing defenders and making it stick and attack. He's good at linking. I liked... It's kind of pairing that you wouldn't think would work very well because they're both very kind of similar shapes and... Even in their movement and the the way that, not only in the way they can move around the park, just again the way they move with, with the football in terms of him and, and Stephen Kelly behind them. Because Kelly was quite advanced at points and Anderson would drop off, so often they'd be like quite close to each other. But they worked very well. It was just the kind of movement, the, dynam, the dynamism that they created between the two of them. And also then with Daniel Mackay on the right wing, who was quite impressive as well, just being a direct runner. And it meant that even though Joel Newblade, he's like the kind of outlier, but he's also there to to provide you know a diagonal ball and his typically excellent dribbling skills. It wasn't really there in this game, and he didn't really play that well. But 
it was kind of a, a good blend for for Livingston's attack, and I did the way that Kelly and Anderson together, just in terms of their mobility around the the final third and, and picking up areas and making sure that they linked well with attacks and and kept Motherwell on the back foot. I thought was was very impressive. So it was a, a good performance from the the Lions, and again, I think we've written them off at uh, at our peril. Or, or peril, as if anything's going to happen to us. <laughs> Just a, a wee note on the Kelly brothers, because I, I I heard um, I, think, I can't remember if I was watching the sports scene or I read something. Oh no, it was uh, it was Callum Carson, friend of the show on Twitter, had said. Sean Kelly puts the ball past his brother Liam and I actually originally thought he was maybe having a wee joke and then I checked and I was like no they are brothers so I posted in the group chat saying I didn't know these were these were brothers and then I subsequently searched for it and I had also posted I didn't know these two were brothers uh, four years ago so I did know but I obviously hadn't remembered <laughs> but but they are I'll probably 2027 when when this happens again in league one I'll be able to um to say it for the third time I just remembered that, so I watched this earlier on Y Scout, and when it first came up, there was like, it, it initially sounded like three different audio tracks were playing on top of the same game, and I actually started searching around of like, something popped up on another tab on my laptop that, no, it's all coming from Y Scout, because I paused it, and it all stopped. And it, it, you could tell, you could hear one commentator, and then you could hear another two guys, one of them had a very thick Liverpudlian accent and the other one sounded like he was on his own as well. It ended up being that those two, I believe, were the Livingston commentary and the Motherwell commentary were both on the track at the same time. And the reason it sounded like two different ones is because it just felt like the levels were really off for the player and the commentator for the living one. Like the player sounded a lot more clearer. So I just kept having this Liverpudlian accent. I was like, what the hell is going on here? And I had to look through their squad. I was like, who's this? Because I think it must be a player. He was referring to all the players uh, like by nicknames. And he was, you know, he also had a, a Liverpudlian accent. So I was like, well, he's probably not going to be a Livingston fan. So I had a look and I'm thinking it's Danny Lloyd, who signed for them in the summer, who is from Liverpool. And well, so that was just a really bizarre experience to listen to a game. And I was actually, to be fair, I did actually start listening to it because I was able to just kind of block out the Motherwell commentator and just listen to Danny Lloyd because he was giving some decent insights into what was happening on the park. But it was just a, a very strange experience. I wonder what the, the, the situation is there. Danny, you kind of get a game for us, so um, <laughs> we're paying you for something, so get yourself on the commentary. <laughs> it is quite often that teams will ask players to do the co-commentary. Some of them are absolutely terrible. Uh, so I don't say bugger all. He was, he was a lot better than that, I would say. Gary Dicker did one um, during COVID um, in the, the relegation season for us um, when, when I think he was out injured or suspended, um, more likely. And he was it was good when he was given insight, but as soon as he got asked anything about the current situation and the fact we were uh, we were struggling, it was like it was like kind of blood out of water stuff. Um, it was just kind of went quiet, basically. Right, let's move on to our third game and we shall go to Sunday at Paisley where St Mirren lost their unbeaten start to the Cinch Premiership campaign going down 3-0 to Rangers at home and basically, I think we were... This one was a bit of a shame because this was really shaping up to be quite a enticing encounter. You wondered, it's always... We always sometimes get a wee bit of ahead of ourselves when it's a team playing against the either half of the old firm where one half of the old firm is like at a low ebb. 
because even when they are, they still typically tend to win games against the the rest of us rather, more often than not. But this really felt like one set we thought, oh, St. Man could really do this. And then Ryan Strain has an absolute moment of madness. Penalty to Rangers, red card for Ryan Strain, goal for James Tavernier, game over. Yeah, it was certainly far too early to, to do something like that. Like, just let the let the ball get out. Apart from anything, have you seen Rangers centre forwards this season? They would probably have missed. <laughs> like, it's just yeah, there there is no there's no justification because you're not going to get away with it now. You're, you're simply um, you're simply not going to get away uh, unless you're uh, unless you're Andy Considine at Rugby Park. I suppose you're not going to get away with like a very blatant handball in the box with VAR around, and 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 that's what happened. And and yeah, it, took, it killed the game because I had predicted St Mirren to win this game. I thought Rangers. The way they've been playing, it's the absolute worst opponent they could have had because you are going up against a team who are just going to graft for everything, who are going to just sling balls in on top of you, who are going to defend well, and who are going to do everything else along those lines. And and it was shaping up like it might have been that way, and it might have been a kind of difficult afternoon for them. And then obviously they're basically handed handed the opening, and, and at that point, you are not really going to trouble them when you have 10 men like when you're also getting beat it, you could probably count in the the fingers of one hand the amount of times I can remember a team coming back against Rangers or Celtic with a red card I, I, there's nothing springs to mind off the top of my head at all for that um, and so it's it's just very unlikely that it's, it's ever going to happen and, and, and ultimately it kind of killed the game and then it was just a boring game of football yeah I, 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 I don't really nothing really to add on this what I will say Tavernier's, is James, Tavernier's goal was outstanding. It's one of the best goals. I think it's one of the best goals you'll see for the fact, two two main facts. First of all, he's obviously had the first shot, so the ball's coming back to him. So he's had to react and readjust his body shape. But also he's under so much pressure from Gogic. Yeah. Like Gogic is like right on and up on top of him. So to be able to get that amount of technique into a shot under those circumstances, I, 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 it won't be because it doesn't look... It's still a very good goal and it'll still be, be treated as such, but it doesn't look as flashy as some other kind of wonder strikes. But I think it's one of the best goals you'll see this season. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent strike. Seema scoring again. I mean, you were joking that Rangers forwards were crap and probably going to miss. He was the forward that was in position and would have scored if Strain, or probably would have scored if, if Strain didn't handball it. But he's actually been, right. he's the one that coming in, well, apart from Sam Lammers, who looked rubbish from like before he was signed, looked like he was going to be a bad signing. Seema was the other one you thought, kind of thought, mm, you're never too sure with these loan deals, but he's been decent at least. I mean, he's certainly better than, than the other guys. Yeah, it wasn't, it That's wasn't very a good after- to clear. <laughs> it wasn't a good afternoon for for Cyril Dessels again, and and that's uh, oh that's man, I'm actually starting to feel sorry for the guy, which is really uh, saying a lot when it's a Rangers player. That's not, that's certainly nothing I say an awful lot, but he just looks absolutely bereft of any confidence right now. The way he nope. hit that chance he had, it was like, have you actually forgotten how to play football? Do you ever use the word bereft outside of the context of confidence of football players to go all football cliches? I don't think I would ever say my my, my glass was bereft of water. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but but the, as soon as, as soon as you started that sentence, I knew the I knew the the bereft word was coming out, and and you didn't disappoint, Craig. And it, it's certainly it's certainly true. And it already feels like you know, we were talking about Naismith being a dead man walking. It feels already like both him and Lammers may well be be kind of waving bye to Ibrox in January, like if, if they can find anyone to shift them onto. Because even, it, it feels like there's just, they've gone so far down the hole that it's going to be very hard to dig themselves out 
even if they even if they actually either of them are good players because you, you just have that situation where it's just it's just gone for you again unless maybe a new manager comes in and, and finds something different out of either of them I also felt two Rangers players to feel sorry for. I also felt sorry for Zach Lovelace, who looked very good. He was direct. He was kind of fearless. He played with confidence. He was exactly what the Rangers strike force has not been for a lot of the season. And then he gets an injury that the look on his face made it look like it was maybe a bad one as well. And that would be a real shame because he is kind of the, the shining light of the, the Rangers youth team and somebody that, that fans have been calling to being given an, an opportunity. He gets that opportunity and it already looked like he was going to get more very soon. And, you know, now we don't know how long he's going to be out for. So that was that was a bit of a shame as well. I don't think there's really, not really much else to say about Rangers other than the fact they were still pretty crap against 10 men for a lot of this game. The two goals at the end certainly helped it look like a, a better day at the office, but... There was long stretches of periods in that second half where not an awful lot of stuff happened. Uh, yeah, it, it it doesn't it doesn't push the needle at all on how good a team they are because it's like one of those yeah, as you said earlier, Rangers are still going to win lots of games of football, like even if they're bad, and especially in the circumstance that it happened, like it doesn't it doesn't really make up, for example, for the for the loss in midweek, which I think is a, a really bad result. It's it's so important to get through that Europa League group and. They gave themselves. I mean, to be able to beat Betis at home, and then <laughs> to follow up by um, by basically losing probably your well, definitely your most winnable away game. It's just um, yeah, it, it, it points to a real malaise, um, and and I think they really need to get the managerial appointment right. And I don't see any any way they are because all the names being touted around just they're all gambles. We'll put it that way. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to our penultimate match and that was the game on Saturday at Celtic Park as the reigning champions defeated Kelly 3-1. Rio Hatati getting the opener, Lewis Palma scoring the second, Kelly getting one back through David Watson, but then Celtic putting a seal on things with Greg Taylor adding the third. Craig, this was involving your team. What would you like to talk about? Uh, I mean... There's not a lot to say, to be honest, about this game. Celtic thoroughly deserved the victory. I actually thought Kelly had kind of got... like I don't think it was that bad a performance all in, but what happened is it, it was glaring errors. And, and pretty much everything good and bad from Kelly came from David Watson um, simultaneously, like the, the best and the worst parts. Because obviously the way Kelly are setting up in these types of games is to be compact, is to keep your shape... And, and to make good decisions about when to try and win the ball. And the first goal comes directly from David Watson making a very bad decision about trying to go and snatch a ball where if you're playing against, I was going to say nine other teams in the league, probably 10 of the other teams in the league, the way Rangers midfield's been playing, you, you're you going to get that ball. But you're coming up against, and in that case it was Hitati, but in other cases it would be McGregor. You're coming up against the most gifted midfielders who, with the ball at their feet, you're going to struggle to basically ever tackle. And and he makes a chance, he makes a decision to go out and chase that ball, leaves a massive gap in behind, and, and that's exploited. And I think it's a lesson for again, I think he's still 18, he might be 19 now, for a young player in terms of like the importance of that in these types of games. He then gets his first goal for the club, which is such a, a lovely finish. Um that was a really nicely worked goal actually in general and, and he, he, he mm-hmm. put it away really well. Generally he mixed it. I was talking about the quality of the midfield he was up against. He generally mixed it very well with him. He got involved. He he looked 
he didn't look kind of phased or out of place against those players, which was was the same in the in the two home wins um, over Rangers and Celtic earlier in the season. And and so in general, it's a good performance. He's bringing all the energy and the drive. But then you get to the third goal where he, where he's called us back into the game. And he just completely goes to sleep and lets Greg Taylor, uh, like Greg, uh, I was going to say Greg Taylor will never score an easier goal in his career. Greg Taylor hardly scores any goals in his career, but that was like, he's the one who just lets him drip, drift off and it's literally leaves leaves him unmarked like two yards out. And so everything good and bad came from that. But that's the kind of thing for a young player where McInnes can easily sit down with him and, and probably knows himself because he seems like quite, quite a smart boy. Like, to learn from those mistakes and not make them again and you kind of need that and sometimes it's better to get those mistakes out out your system in a game you're probably not going to win anyway aside from that like Kilera a wee bit like they, they finally got Ndaba back which was what I spoke about in terms of having having a bit of better balance in the defence obviously this is not the ideal game for it but the last two games he still picked the three centre halves um, and Mayo so he still picked Finlay D's or, or or he's done. He's uh, essentially he's always kept Joe Wright in the team, basically. And Wright, that was a mistake uh, said, in this game. Yes, you've you've said it. Like Wright's a good player. I think like he's a, he's a fine centre half at this level, but he's not as good as the rest. You need to drop one of them. So so it just it just is him. And um, and yeah, he's the one who makes a really loose pass to to lead that goal. I have to say, with that offside decision, I think it's the type of decision that will frustrate everyone who's ever watched football, but it's the correct decision under the rules. Yeah. The, the rules are wrong, but um, yeah. the, uh, there's nothing you can do about that because the ball gets played. Hatati is not actually directly involved in play in the sense that he's walking back. Finlay only plays the ball because Hatati's there. Now, that should be enough to say, well, he's offside because he's in that position, but he wasn't actually pressuring Finlay at the time. And then because Finlay plays the ball deliberately... Even though it hits off attackers, then retreating from an offside position, um, that that's not relevant. It's a very nice goal from Palma. I, I quite like the look of him. I, I know there was a bit of discussion because mm-hmm. I thought he looked quite good in the um Feyenoord game originally, like to to start with. And I mean they all kind of fell apart in that game. Um and I think he showed be flashes against Lazio the other night as well. Um obviously had the goal um the goal disallowed correctly. And and it was a really nice finish again from him. I think there's something there in him as a player. And generally, Celtic were, were were it was more of the same. They were good. They were clearly deserved to win a game, but they, they didn't they didn't excite. They weren't they weren't brilliant, but they, they did enough. And, and doing enough is going to be more than more than suitable for them this season. Rio Hatati certainly looked excellent on the highlights. Was it like that watching the game as well? He's just a he's just a very good player. Like everything he does is there, there are there are issues with his game. I think at times where he's like. He can maybe be a bit like lackadaisical in situations where he, it's complacency, maybe. And in the big games, he's maybe just a wee level short sometimes of what it takes to mix it with with like very, very, very good players. But up against pretty much anyone he plays in Scotland, like he, he's just better than them, so it, mm. it becomes very easy for him to get involved. And when you also have kind of the ability to kind of ping one, ping, go, ping goals in at the rate that he does, it makes him a very difficult player and. I know that there was obviously some some I don't want to say issues with with Rogers earlier in the season, but obviously Rogers was going with Turnbull, who, in his own right, is a very good player. But uh, there's there's no comparison with the two. Like Hatati's streets ahead. 
Okay, let's move on to our final game, which, as the terrorist tradition demands, is the 1-0-0 from the five Scottish Premiership games that took place at the weekend. And that occurred on Sunday, Aberdeen 0, St. John's 0. I watched... I watched about the first, again, probably watched the first 60 minutes this one to see what it was like. I know that Aberdeen did improve in the last 20 and put St. Johnson under fairly considerable pressure in that time and missed some decent chances, Miofsky in particular, and one where he probably should have scored. And Aberdeen, Barry Robson was saying like we had, you know, chances to win several games and, and that kind of spell. That's, that was a very much overstated. They, probably, they should have won it at the end, but at the same time, I watched the first half and while there was not really much in it and the ball ended up in the back of the net once, it was eventually disallowed for offside with Duke not touching the ball but definitely interfering with plays. He went to challenge Andrew Considine as Considine then headed it into the back of the Aberdeen net, which would have been quite funny to be fair. Considine scoring an own goal for Aberdeen to win 1-0 against St. Johnson at Pataudry. But other than that, I thought that St. Johnson actually shaded the first half and with a better side and... That's it's not great for Aberdeen, and it's it's hard to analyse this game. It's hard to analyse really any Scottish club after European excursions. That's certainly especially when it's not Celtic or Rangers, because there's just so much evidence of them being unable to play well. They were playing a Finnish team at home. Yeah, no, but even still, it just seems to happen all the time. It, it should it, it, ah, yeah, they definitely should have played better. But it was, I guess what I'm saying is that was it a case of. Robson failing to, to rouse them after a, a European game in midweek. They didn't manage to rouse them for it either. <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. Was it a case of like, it, it's difficult when it's like a much more modest league game at home and the crowd's probably flat, it's a Sunday, blah, blah, blah. Was that the case? Was it a case that the players were a bit tired because he doesn't, he's really kind of starting the, the same team pretty much all the time now? And a big reason for that is that they brought in a number of players in the summer. It's very, this is very similar to Hearts last season, but Aberdeen might have actually done worse in terms of the fact they've brought in a number of players to make their squad bigger to deal with the demands of European football, but these guys aren't good enough. And so they're not really getting a game, so it's the same guys playing all the time. So then they're maybe at 95% and St. Johnson are at 100% in terms of fitness. Is it to do with that? Is it to do with Barry Robson's style of play and that it's just not very good at going up against teams like St. Johnson and it's better to go up against a team like Rangers because it's you know a bit more cautious and it's a bit more route one is it all of the above I don't know it's it's difficult to say this but St. Johnson were better in the first half the downside to that is that we're better without really creating much and like Max yeah we Max <laughs> played quite well in the number 10 role for St. Johnson. They went with their three at the back again, which I definitely think suits them better. And they, they look quite impressive in the middle of the park. Sven Sprangler does look a good addition for the St. Johnson side. Matt Smith was somebody that St. Johnson fans weren't entirely sure about in his opening few appearances, but he came in for Dan Phillips, who missed out in this one, and thought he looked pretty decent. Uh, in the centre of the park as well. And like I say, Wemax was very good at, in that number 10 role, getting the ball, killing it with a decent touch and finding a teammate. What he never really looked like doing was scoring or assisting. And while the St. Johnson front two were more troublesome than St. Johnson maybe looked to attack at other points of the season, 
again, Luke Jeffcott and Dan Cast- Dara Costello. Fucking hell. Let me try I that again. always call him Luke- Dan as well. Why is that? <laughs> it's an assumption. Dara is just a name we're not usually... We all know Dara O'Brien, and that's about it as far as the name Dara comes from. So we just default to Dan. So yeah, Dara Costello and Luke Jeffcott, they were troublesome, but again, didn't really look like scoring or creating much. And I think at the end of the day, I wouldn't be... It's got... I think we've seen enough out of Steve McLean and this St. Johnson side a bit more recently that if they were to pull some results together and threaten to move off the bottom of the table, you wouldn't be completely surprised. But I still think they're easily the worst team in the league and I just think it's a lack of talent. I think they seem to be reasonably well coached and they've had a few games now where they've been really kind of, despite the fact I don't even rate a lot of their defenders, they've been hard to beat, they've been hard to break down. But I just still don't look very good in terms of the actual talent they have at their disposal to go and win football games. And they're still clear favourites for the drop for me for that reason. Well, they've not won any games in any. Um, and, and I was having a wee look at teams that have had like less than five points at this stage of the season. And I think there's been a couple of recent exceptions. I think like, like Kelly finished fifth. Uh, that was when Steve Clark came in exactly this point in the season when I think we had three points or two. Uh, and I think Livingston and Ross County both had fewer points in this in the COVID season, um, and both stayed up. I think it was that season. Um, but yeah, in most cases, the uh, Ross County definitely struggled under Malky initially, and then they, they know, after they hammered Dundee, then they just kind of just to see me win just about every game. But beyond that, like teams who start this badly tend to finish tenth at best, which is what they'll be hoping for. They're they feel like they're on a knife edge, but they're to me they're just they're lacking a really really good player. If you're going to be if you're going to be like this, where you're maybe not got not got much quality, you need a talisman. Kelly had it last season in, in Armstrong, and, and he just kind of dragged dragged us through games. Sometimes you don't even need to be good, but you need to be a, a talisman. And I don't see where that who that talisman is for St Johnson. Maybe it is going to be Wee Max, but. He obviously did. I think it was a Dundee game, wasn't it? He dragged them straight back into yeah. that one. But um, I just that's the question mark I would have about them. They are not going to take many pumpings because I don't think they're like so offensively bad that they're going to fall apart very much. But it's whether they can actually turn several of these draws into wins because they never really looked at winning this game. Aberdeen, no. as soon as I saw the lineup, it's like so defensive. Like they've got too many defensive players for a game at home against St Johnston especially with how we've described St Johnston. You talked about like the likes of Sockler and Gay, who I assume were two of the players that you, you were referring to when you were saying about them expanding the squad without expanding the quality. They must have spent over half a million pounds combined on those two players. I don't think it's beyond them to, to give them a run out in this game. Um, I don't know if either of them... I, I think Gay maybe started one. I don't know if Sockler has actually started a, a league game. He's yet. not you do need to give him a go like he his pedigree is not such that he's going to be useless I wouldn't have thought so it's just a little all of those aspects the midfield is maybe a little bit too too defensive it's just all of these things that it's already looking like a massive missed opportunity for Aberdeen this season because they they clearly should have beaten Hacking in the in the 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 Europa League game they were they were just, just visibly better than them, I would say. And then they should already have three points from uh, the Helsinki game in the sense that the Helsinki aren't very good and you're you're 
you're drawing a, that's the team that you're better than. And have already fallen well behind. Not 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 uncatchably behind. If if they could come back to finish third last season, they can come back to finish third from anywhere. But they've already put themselves on the back foot in that race to kind of repeat the feat. And so it just already feels like the everyone thought that managerial appointment was questionable off the run of off the back of a run of very good results, it has to be said, but it's kind of looking already like they, they've maybe got it wrong and it can be challenging when you have to just constantly chop and change managers as a, as a club because you end up in a bit of a mess. Like, like it becomes very, it becomes a, a a habit, a cycle that's hard to break, and we've seen that with Hearts, we've seen that with Hibs already, and and you're talking about the other similar sized club have churned through quite a few managers since McInnes left already, and will Robson will Robson be another one? Like it's kind of starting to point to the fact it might be. Right, I think that'll do us, Craig. Perfect. Thank you, uh, as usual. <laughs> thank you very much for joining me. And I don't know thank what I'm you, you for, but <laughs> for, for, for <laughs> chatting to me for an hour. Yeah, thanks, thanks for joining me. And thank you to everybody for listening. If you'd like to hear more from us, then we have our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast, where there are... We... Is, there's certainly an average of at least five podcasts, additional podcasts that go up per week in, in varying lengths. We don't always hit the five, but sometimes we have six or seven. So it, we definitely hit the average over the course of a season. So there is a lot of value there and it's only five pounds a month to listen to absolutely everything. As I've said numerous times, what on earth these days do you get five pounds for? There's not an awful lot. So to get all that free content, I'd say it's certainly a bargain. And if you would like to watch us do these podcasts, it's not the kind of thing that I personally am into all that much, but I know that, that a lot of people prefer, if you if you like a podcast, you'd like to see the person because then you can put a face to the personality and the opinions. Then we are on YouTube now. The plan is for every single one of our free-to-air flagship shows is going to go up on YouTube. And so you can stare at our mugs while we talk. And I'm just looking directly in the camera right now and waving. There we go. And don't we also have a fantastic initiative this month, Craig, on the yes, on we opening do. up Thank the Patreon? Thank you very much for reminding me, Craig. We have got Open the Vault Month, which is us releasing old Patreons through our free-to-air feed. So there's patrons from... So far, it's just been ones from this year. I'll maybe have a look and see if there's any from kind of recent history in terms of the last year or the year before that would be go would be going up on the main feed this month. It's basically for anybody who's never sampled the Patreon before to get an idea of what you are missing out on. And then that may tempt you into joining the army, the massive swelling army we've got because you not only get also that content, you get on the Discord as well, which is a wee forum we've got set up. And I have to say, it's the most pleasant fans forum I've ever been on. There's not anybody calling anybody a prick or a, or an idiot or anything like that. And the first person that does do that will be chucked off because I'm just not... I'm not. I'm sick of like being on football forums. You want to read about the game and there's just two people getting involved in a slagging match for ages. Just like, shut up. That's why I don't post on there, Craig. <laughs> I, I do I do a bit but I always forget about it that's that's the truth I forget about it and then I go out oh, the, the discord would be good and then it's always at like 12 o'clock when everyone's kind of switched it off so um, I, at some point at some point I will become active probably with the, the imminent demise of Twitter will make it um, make it my go-to place to whinge about not whinge that's that's the 
talk about um, about Scottish football, Craig. I wouldn't want to whinge in case you kick me out. <laughs> you can whinge you want, just don't call everybody a prick when you're doing it. <laughs> right, that's us. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.